0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to uh, Let's Talk, Join the Conversation. Uh, my name is Joyce Morgan, and this is
1: Dan Morgan. Good evening.
0: And uh, we're with Go Ye Harvest Outreach Ministry, and uh, just want to say welcome. Uh, so glad you joined us this evening. And we are going to have a, a very good evening discussing uh, answers to some questions that Uh, on the minds of young people um, at this time in the world. So before we get started, I want to go ahead and ask Dan to uh, open us up
1: with a word of prayer. Okay, thank you, sweetie. So, Father God, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercies. We thank you for this opportunity for Joyce and I to just come before your people as we address many of the questions that are on the mind of young people, but not only young people, Father God, but those who may be a little bit seasoned. We pray, Father God, that something that we say this evening will address or answer questions that are on the minds of your people. We pray, Father God, that some will be be encouraged tonight. And, Father God, we pray that others, Father, will be strengthened in their walk. We pray that all that we do and say is in accordance with your word and by your Holy Spirit. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. And, uh, okay, Dan, uh, this is... Uh, just to go ahead and, and set the format here, we're going to have an uh, introduction in terms of uh, Dan telling us why uh, he felt that we needed to have this series of Let's Talk. So, what's behind the idea?
1: Well, thank you, Joyce. The reason that we want to do this Let's Talk series is that over the years, as Joyce and I have worked with young people, we have found that whether they're in the church or whether they're not in the church, young people have so many questions. And not just young people. We have found, or at least I have found in particular, that as I have done Bible studies in different places around the world, whether it was at Puerto or California, whether it was in Korea, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, or even in Washington, D.C., and in the raising of our God children, there are just so many questions that people have that have not been adequately addressed. So what we want to do is address those questions that young folks are having. But before we dive into our particular set of questions, I do want to direct you to some of the questions uh, that are prevailing right now based on a Pew survey that was done uh, a year or two ago. And on your screen, you see the first set of questions, the first five questions that was actually probably seven to 80 questions, and I pulled out some of the more relevant questions that are aligned with the question that we are going to address as part of this Let's Talk series. So as you look at the stream there, you see five questions. That first question is that one in four evangelicals are not certain that the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is an historic event. So then the question becomes, brothers and sisters, how is that possible that we're talking about evangelicals here, evangelicals, as you know, is going to include our Methodists, is going to include our, our Protestants, but the most one was all of the Protestants, that's the, that's the Methodists, the Baptists, is going to include the Pentecostals, all of these groups of people that to have a very, very solid born-again experience, but yet we find that 25% of us don't even believe that the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is a real event. And if that's the case, from where do we draw our faith if we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you also see there that almost half of evangelicals believe that worship of all types is accepted by God, and we know that's just not true. I was just talking this morning in a survey, in a, in a sermon we had this morning, Joyce. If you recall, I mentioned that when I was a commander in the army, uh, I had to allow time for my soldiers who were. Uh, Satan worshippers, worship yep. to go out and hug trees or worship Satan however way they wanted to. Well, that was 20-some years ago, and the problem has only gotten worse. And then the last one on that screen that I want to talk about, Joyce, is 52% of Christians believe that non-Christian faith can lead to eternal life. Wow. Well, that's just not true. As a Christian, that's just not true. That goes against the Word of God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. On the next slide over, there's an additional question. There's another six questions. And again, these came from the Pew survey. And question number six there says that 37% of evangelicals believe that God will always reward true faith with material blessings. And that's just not biblical. There's nothing in the Bible that says that because you believe God is going to reward you with material blessings. Now, the word of God is full, George, with so many scriptures about blessings. But almost all of God's blessings are conditional. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so just because that uh, you believe in God, that has nothing to do with God blessing you necessarily. Mm-hmm. And then let's look at uh, number seven. Number seven says, only half of all teenagers who grew up in a Christian house had a regular conversation about God. And that's why we are, I believe, just in the situation that we're in today because if half of our, our young people are grown up in households, mm-hmm. That we're supposedly we know God, we profess God, but yet we're not having conversations about God in our household. So naturally, our young folks don't know much about God. But thank God for those households where, like Elijah Hawkins that I know, where the word of God is is discussed and have a very very solid foundation. I am encouraged when I meet people like him and so many other young people who do have a solid foundation. And then we look at that last one that I think is just so important. And that number one, that number eleven there, George. It says that nearly half of young evangelicals favor same-sex marriage. And we know that um, a relationship between a man and a, a man and a woman and a woman is an abomination, is a detestable before God. It is going to be immoral, and there's so many scriptures that speak against it. But yet, because of our culture and so many other things that are going on in our world today, it is becoming a norm where it is easily accepted. You know, I, I find it hard to believe with so many churches,
0: particularly in Macon, that uh, that that survey is is correct. You know, with so many churches, you would think that everybody would know about the Bible, but I forget we live in the last days. Yes. and yes. And, uh, but I, I know that there are some. there was a survey that you sent out that had 42 questions yes. on it, and so our topic tonight is going to come from some of those questions. What were the categories uh, or the areas that were listed on that survey that okay. you had?
1: That's a very good one. So, as you look at your slide there, for those that are watching on Zoom now, you will see uh, that we had a total of 42 questions, and you've responded to those questions. And those questions are actually broken down into seven areas, George. Mm-hmm. The number of questions in those different areas areas range from, I believe, eight down to four, and so. As you look at your screen and you see salvation and the Holy Spirit, that's listed first because as we tallied up all of the responses, salvation and the Holy Spirit came in as number one with the most number of people being interested in the questions that came under that topic. And then you see there the other six areas. And then other questions are just simply questions, joys that did not fit in one of those other six categories. So give me an example of some of the questions on the, say, Salvation and the Holy okay. Spirit. Okay, very good. very good. Looking at our next slide, there we see on the next slide that there are actually eight questions there. Mm-hmm. And the very first question that you see is, what is faith? Now, originally, when we when we put the different questions in the categories, Faith was actually in another category, but as I began to do my study and preparation, I realized that you cannot possibly have a discussion about God's Word or address any of these questions without setting a solid foundation. And so you have to begin with faith because everything about religion, everything about our faith, about our faith is based on faith. And so we're going to have a discussion about faith as we address our very first question, and then we'll get through tonight. All the other questions that you see there uh, on your slide. Okay, so what about um, what's that, sin and despair? Yes, the next one over would be uh, the second area we have sin, despair, and suffering. And you can see the kinds of questions that are there. Mm -hmm. What is sin and what are the different kinds of sin? I'm very excited to talk about every one of these questions. I'm very excited about because over the last, at least since I was a teenager, I have been involved with Bible study, and I have just always loved the Word of God and to read the Word of God and to study the Word of God. And so I'm excited about talking about all of these. But then we go into why does God allow sin and suffering? Mm-hmm. And I know you're going to back all these up with Scripture, right? Yes, every one of these questions that we're going to talk about is going to be backed up by Scripture. And then look at question number 41. You know, over the last uh, number of years since uh, we've had this issue of homosexuality, gay lifestyle, gender identity to to come come into our families in different ways, cousins and and immediate family members and others, I have done a lot of of research, George, I can remember being in Afghanistan on my time off with nothing to do other than physical exercise, spending hours just pouring through the entire Bible about what the Word of God has to say about this issue. And so I'm excited to talk about that issue. You know, God, the Word of God says that I was formed in my mother's womb, so how is it that I feel this way? So God must have made me this way. You know, uh, a lot of people are saying that for those that grew up in the church, and if you did not grow up in the church and you, and you feel that way, it's just because of the culture. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. 16. That's going to be another good discussion. We want to address some of these issues and topics that are out there and relevant to today, this pornography wow. and masturbation issue. Yes.
0: In fact, number 16 was just recently in the news last week, so I'm sure the young people are probably all up on that one already, so yes. that should be interesting. Okay, Okay. so what
1: about Christ, salvation, and faith? Yes, Christ, salvation, and faith. Again, we've moved faith from here and put it up front, but we're going to talk about it tonight and then later. So under Christ and salvation, we have a number of questions. I believe there's seven or eight questions there. And uh, we have to have a good understanding of our salvation, of course. But uh, it's not that these are not important. It's just how they fell out with the number of people who responded to them and where some of the people may be in their walk and understanding of Scripture. Yep,
0: got it, got it. So, And then uh, end times
1: uh, or angels? Yes, creation, angels, demons, and Satan. Those are going to be some very good discussion. You don't hear much uh, nowadays, even in the houses of God, about these topics. And so we're excitedly looking forward to having a discussion about those topics.
0: I guess there's still some people who don't think that the devil is real, uh, but the devil is real. The,
1: the and, devil is real.
0: Uh, and he has have, have his agents on, on the earth just like they're...
1: Angels representing God. That's right. That's right. The so. forces, uh, we know there's a lot of them according to Scripture. We're going to talk about that and about mm-hmm. approximately how many do we think. We don't know how many, but we know the least. Mm-hmm. We know the minimum number, yeah. we don't know the maximum.
0: Okay. And then I know this subject here is near and dear to your heart, end times.
1: Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Back in August and <laughs> September, we had an eight-week series on end-time Bible prophecy. And what an exciting series! And I'm excited again, looking forward to addressing some of those questions.
0: Yeah, it was a, a really good series, and I even now find myself looking for uh, information on on Bible prophecy and, and end times. So, if you did not have an opportunity to be in that class, I would encourage you to uh, go out to the website and uh, and, and look it up.
1: So, what, wasn't that prayer? Yes, prayer. We know that prayer is, an impo- is very important, and I believe that prayer came in uh, with this number of responses in terms of priority only because I believe that many folks pretty much understand prayer. There's those other things that we saw on the front end that people have a lot of questions about. There were some questions about prayer, but it's not as prevalent in terms of the question being asked because I believe that many understand prayer. But we're all going to talk about prayer towards the latter part of this series.
0: Yeah, I, and I can probably... Uh, imagine that anyone who was alive and in at school age during the time of 9/11, yes, yes, probably heard a lot about prayer yes. and the importance of prayer. So, yes, yes, yes. so, yeah, so that should
1: be really good.
0: And then the uh, last category, uh,
1: other questions? Yes, there were four questions that came in as other questions only because they did not fit in the other categories. It is not that they are not important, and I'm particularly looking forward to discussing. Uh, Number thirty-eight. Okay. Tithing and giving. And I know you got a scripture to back it up for more than one or two. Yes, we have a number (laughs) of scriptures because one thing I do love about the Word of God is the Word of God will repeat, will repetitively state what it is that we need to know about every one of these topics that we're going to be discussing. All forty-two questions are backed up by many scriptures. Very good.
0: So, with that being said. Let's get started.
1: All right, then. Well, let's dive in. Does anybody so have
0: any questions so far? I want to make sure that I give everybody an opportunity to ask questions if they need to. And there will be some time at the end as well so to ask some questions. if uh, during, While we're going
1: along, uh, uh, please feel free. Well, let's dive in. So the next slide over you will see. Uh, As we go through this discussion this evening, uh, as we change from one question to another, we will always come back to this screen, and the particular question that we're going to be talking about will be in red. So let's just go in and dive into this first question of what is faith. So on the next slide over, you will see a number of scriptures that talks about faith, and so while you're jotting down or taking notes, those particular scriptures, I'm just going to walk you through some some notes and stuff that I prepared to kind of talk about this very, very important issue of faith. As I said before, we had to move this this word, this issue of faith all the way up to the front because faith is the bedrock, it is the foundation of of, of all of our discussions. So if you were to go to the Oxford Dictionary on Wikipedia and look up the word faith, you will come up with something that says Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. That is, it is a belief, a conviction, or a reliance on something. It's a strong belief or trust or confidence in God or in doctrine or religion rather than having actual proof. That's what you would find if you go out there on the Wikipedia from the Oxford Dictionary. But, you know... As I said, we have to go to the Word of God, and let's see, what does the Word of God say that faith is? Yes, faith is all of those things that are in that dictionary. Faith is a strong belief, trust, uh, a conviction about what we believe. So faith is the basic ingredient, brothers and sisters, for our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the start point of everything that is about our, our, our walk with Christ. You see, faith is the assurance that things revealed to us and promised in the word of God are true, even though they are unseen, brothers and sisters, and they gives us the conviction that what we expect in faith will come to pass. Now I know for those Bible scholars out there, George, they know where this comes from. And that is essentially that this 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 definition I just gave you that I talked about from a Bible perspective comes from Hebrews chapter eleven Verse 1, and if you have your Bible, you go there, and you will see where it says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then if you are looking at chapter 11, you know that chapter 11 is that is that chapter heroes of faith in the Bible where it talks about Moses and it talks about uh, Job and Samuel and David and other great men of God. So now using faith, the scripture first, let's look at a couple of scriptures that tells us, Joyce, exactly what faith is all about. Mm -hmm. So the next thing we need to understand, brothers and sisters, as we walk uh, in our walk with Christ, we have to understand that Hebrews 11 verse 6, Joyce says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whomever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, brothers and sisters, and that he rewards those who seek him. Mm-hmm. So faith faith is the substance and the evidence, and it is having absolute belief and trust in God and what he says. Amen. And then we see over in James chapter 2, verse 19, where it says, I like this one, brothers and sisters, I like this. It says, you believe that God is one. If you believe that, you do well. That's good that you believe that. Mm-hmm. But look at what the Word of God says. It says, even the demons believed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the demons, the mighty forces know that God is. They, he cast them out of hell. So, out of heaven. Mm-hmm. So he's saying here, okay, so big deal you believe it, do you have faith? Yeah. And then the other thing I love to tell people I have begun to reflect on myself as i begun my walk with Christ is because we believe, believe a thing doesn't make it to be true or not That's
2: true. Right.
1: They that are true, brothers and sisters, they stand Amen. by themselves. And the words of God, we believe, are true, and they stand by themselves whether we believe them or not. Absolutely. And then Second uh, Corinthians uh, verse 5 and 7 says, For we walk by faith, not right. by sight. Right. You know, I love to say, you know, I can't see it, George. I can't feel it, I can't touch it. I have absolutely no idea how this will come together. But it's coming together. And just say this reminds me of my son, Michael. When Why
2: can't you turn on your cameras?
1: You know, Michael working on his Eagle Scout project and I had come home from <laughs> Afghanistan. And Michael said to me, I have no idea how it's going to come together, but it's all going to come together. Michael had absolute assurance that his dad, me, okay. we were going to work on this project and it was going to get him through his Eagle Scout. Yep. He said that. I have no idea how it's going to all come together, but I know it's going to all come together. That's the way we mm-hmm. have to be. Mm-hmm. Michael actually mm-hmm. was expressing sincere faith and belief that his dad was going to help him get through that Eagle Scott project. Yep. He had to do the planning, and we worked on it together, but it was his project. Yep. And that's the way it is with us. It's our lives, but God through the Holy Spirit will help us get through it. Amen. You see, faith is a choice. Faith is not guaranteed. The Word of God says that he is the author and, and the right. finisher of our faith. But we have to initiate our faith mm-hmm. It's a choice. We choose to believe. That's true. So faith being a substance, it is evidence. It is evidence. Faith is just not some bare belief. What is this evidence that we have so that we can have faith in God? Well, the Word of God says that he spoke it, mm-hmm. and all the creation came into being, George. Yep. And and the heavens declares his glory, and the star of the host is we have to believe, even scientists tell us that there has to be a first cause and there has to be an intelligence behind everything that is because it's too perfect yeah. to have begun all by itself. So therefore we choose to make God the object of our faith. Amen. You see, faith be go, Faith is going beyond our senses of touch, sense, and smell. Right. It is putting our trust and belief in something That though we can't see it, we can't touch it. And now there are other ways how this faith is acted out with the Holy Spirit. Mm. As we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and begin to minister to us, and then we begin to align what we see, think, sense, smell with what the Holy Spirit says, we begin to grow in our faith and become assured of him in whom we put our faith. And let me close with this. Faith does not contradict with reason, brothers and sisters. Faith does not contradict reason. Matter of fact, faith goes beyond reason, George.
2: Absolutely.
1: We can objectively prove that the Bible is the most unique book in the world. The Bible has been the number one best-selling book for many decades. Mm-hmm. We can prove that. Yeah. But how do we prove the Word of God is true in the Bible? That's a difference.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay? So then we're going to close on faith with this, and that is, A good example of faith that we're given in the Bible begins with Abraham. And many of you know the story, so I'm talking to those Bible scholars and others. uh, But you know the story. You can can come on and tell everybody all about Abraham. But, you see, God told Abraham that through him all nations were going to be blessed, George. Right. Well, how how did that happen? How, How did that through Abraham all nations of the world were going to be blessed? Well was it not through Abraham's seed that we get Jesus Christ in the flesh, the Son of God? Yeah. And because of Jesus, all nations, all people, all tongues, all kindred are blessed. Yeah. But there's also some some some, some other rewards and blessing, because the word of God says those that blesses Israel, he will, bless. he will bless. So for all the nations of the world that blesses Israel, God said he will bless them. Those that curses Israel, he say they will be cursed. Okay? And then God told Abraham. Who was childish at the childless at the age of seventy-five? He was going to have a child. The Bible says that Abraham believed these things, and it was credited to him as righteousness. righteousness. Amen. All right, Joyce. So we're going to leave it on that note.
0: Yeah. So, so that was those good good scriptures there. So now, what does, uh, um, does anybody have any questions about that? I want to make sure. Any questions? Okay. So now let's, let's go on, move on through our next question. What does the Bible
1: mean by God's grace and mercy? Hmm. You know, if I told people my life story, which we don't have, we time, don't have for tonight, time for tonight. We night. don't have time for tonight. I'm going uh, to kick him if you get off the we will, we, You would clearly see uh, the grace and mercy of God in action. Uh-huh. But we don't have to take Dan Morgan's life and find out what grace and mercy is about. We can all look at our own lives. lives. We can all look at our own lives to understand God's grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. You see, because grace as a definition now, as a definition, is defined as the courteous goodwill of someone extended to somebody else. Meaning, it is not asked for or deserved, but it is freely given. Okay, that's grace. Natural grace. And then mercy, Joyce, is defined as an act of withholding, I'm sorry, mercy is defined as compassion and kindness shown to someone who is one, who is in a position to punish someone. So I'm in a position to punish you, but I'm not going to punish you. You know, you plead mercy in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. You plead mercy, okay? But God's mercy is the act of withholding punishment that we deserve because deserve of sin, right. while God's grace has given us unmerited favor. Mm-hmm. He pours out His favor unlimited. Mm-hmm. His favor abounding over and over when we don't deserve it. See, we deserve death, but He doesn't give it to us. That's right. the punishment. But then He gives us blessings after blessings when we don't deserve it. Okay? In His mercy, God's gives does not give us the punishment we deserve, namely hell, eternal damnation, while in His grace God gives us the gift we do not deserve, namely eternal life. You see, brothers and sisters, mercy and grace are really two sides of the same coin. On one side we have grace, Mm -hmm. and on the other side we have mercy. So listen to what the Word of God tells us in Matthew chapter 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, testing him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, and you all know this, Bible students, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as thyself. All the law, all the scripture and the prophet hangs on those two come in. So why did I say that? I said that because that defines love for us who are God. But God loves his creation. God loves his creation so much that he, gives us, that he gives us grace and mercy. You see, God knew in the beginning. He knew before he made Adam that Adam was going to fall, and because Adam fell, he was going to bring sin into the world. And God knew that he was going to have to have a plan of redemption. Mm-hmm. And it is because of his grace and his mercy that God gives us this plan of redemption. Notice what the Word of God tells us in Psalms 148, verses 8 through 9, and that is, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He is slow to anger and full of mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. And then, brothers and sisters, we're not going to go through all those scriptures that you see there. I you while I was speaking, uh, you were able to get, uh, at least write those scriptures down, but you can see all of those scriptures that we have there that talks about the grace and the mercy of God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Think about Saul uh, in the New Testament, how Saul was a prosecutor when Stephen died. Yep. But God granted him mercy for what reason? So that he could then go forth and become a, a minister to minister to most of the Gentile, But because of what he did, of course, his sin he had to suffer for, but God showed astounding mercy towards Saul as well as to many others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God is merciful and gracious. I'll end on this note. God is merciful and gracious to us because he loves us. Amen. He loves his creation. Very
0: good. Any questions, Anyone? That's good. So we're going to move right along on question number six on the survey um, was, What is salvation, and how do I know I am saved?
1: Brothers and sisters, hold on to your seat for a moment because this is a very, very good (laughs) question. Uh, Unfortunately, there are many, many, many Christians who question their salvation you know, there's those that say once saved, always saved, but that's not absolutely always true because there are some circumstances on which we can lose our salvation, but the Word of God says that nothing can snatch us out of the hands of God. But remember, God will never sever his relationship with us, but because we are free will people, yeah. free-minded, we can sever our relationship with God. But then as we're going to talk about, Joy, it, it always comes down to uh, when people take that position that, uh, you can't lose your salvation. What they're really saying is what the Apostle Paul says later on, and that is that those people who failed and went back were truly never saved as a part of us. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll bring that out in, in the world here. But if you have your Bible, and you get nothing out of this, I really want you to go to Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13, you see, because therein mm-hmm. is the crust of this conversation, and there's a couple other scriptures that go hand in hand with it, but Therein, what Paul says and what Jesus says, lies salvation. Mm-hmm. Salvation is so simple and easy. It does not take a degree. It does not take a, an, an, elementary, uh, in the eleme- an elementary graduation mm-hmm. for salvation. Yeah. Once you come to the age of knowledge, which is the age you begin to understand right and wrong, and for some children that's 13 to 15, for others it may be 17 or so, salvation is free to all. So in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13, the Word of God tells us this, Joyce. It says, but what does it say? The Word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will Be saved. That is a declarative statement. There's no ifs ands or buts. There's no once you get beyond that. If you do this, then you will be saved. But there's no other additions to salvation. Now, of course, the question is always asked, after salvation, what then? That's a different question. We're talking about salvation. And once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, once he comes into your life, and later on you get the Holy Spirit to come into your life, You shall be saved. We're not saved on works. We do not go to heaven based on our works. We are saved, and once we have the salvation of God, when Jesus Christ is out in our hearts, we go to heaven. Now, it is your works that determines to what extent you get rewards in heaven. But we're talking about basic salvation here. Now, I want you to understand this, brothers and sisters. Listen to this now. This is just how important salvation is. I want to go back to that Pew survey that I talked about earlier and just read a couple of things to you from that Pew survey. Because salvation is so important, but yet only half of faithful Christians, now we're talking about people who say they are faithful, only half share their faith, only share, half share their story, their testimony, joys of mm. how they came to salvation. Yeah. But yet it's so important because eternity for each and every one of us rests on our salvation. But yet, we don't share it with anyone. And I thought this was very interesting for those that may be watching that may have grandchildren. The survey, this is a Pew survey, it said that 93% of Christian grandparents do not feel comfortable having a conversation with their adult grandchildren. Wow. How is that possible? What it tells me is that many of us are not very comfortable with the very thing that we say we practice. I'm not going to argue the numbers. I'm just going to go with the numbers. Even if the numbers are half of the people who responded to this survey is true, that's still too many. Because the words that every one of us should be ready to give a testimony a word. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Yes, yes, yes. And then I want to just say this also. Um, 70% of, of Christians attending church at least once or more times a month, they have never shared their faith with a stranger. Wow. So, what does salvation mean? The simplest definition of salvation is to be saved from perils, from danger of some type. Mm-hmm. That's the worldly definition. But for us, salvation is to be saved from sin, from sin. saved from death. death. <laughs> okay? Saved from sin and saved from death. And then third, joy, it is saved from the wrath of God. And there are many scriptures that talk about being saved from death, saved from sin, and then being being saved from the wrath of God, brothers and sisters. And so, we are saved to what? What are we saved to, brothers and sisters? We are saved to do works. We are saved to do good works as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our fellow man, and we allow the love of God to permeate in our lives, because Jesus said, and by this, the world will know that you belong to me. Okay? And then, by whom are we saved? You know, over in Acts chapter 16, verse verse 30, Jews. that the Libyan jailer, uh, he asked a very important question. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so the apostles, they didn't hesitate to point to Jesus. Mm -hmm. The same Jesus That is what Peter said, the same Jesus whom you crucified and hung on a tree is the one through whom you must be saved. And the word of God goes on to say, we had the first greatest revival, and 3,000 people came to the Lord Jesus that day. Okay? Okay, brothers and sisters, uh, I trust that uh, that was a very simple uh, explanation of salvation. Remember, we are saved saved by grace through faith. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Please get that. We are saved by grace through faith. faith. We are saved by grace through faith. So please, please get that, okay? All
0: right, brothers and sisters. And and share it. Share it with uh, your friends, family, neighbors, you know. So the next question, any, any questions about that? Questions or comments? Still with us? Okay, so moving right along then, I asked Jesus to come into my life, but how do I know I am saved?
1: Very good question, and it ties into the one we just got done discussing. You see all the scriptures on the next slide. There's a number of scriptures that uh, address this. Uh, how is it that I know that I'm saved? And so as you look at those, those scriptures, the Romans Uh, Chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, which is what we read earlier. Mm -hmm. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There's nothing to be added to that. Right. Okay? Now, the other thing we need to understand about knowing that we're saved, uh, brothers and sisters, we also need to know that you can't go on living the way you were living. There ought to be a change in your life uh, once you profess Jesus Christ's salvation, but you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, so that you're not committing deliberately committing those sins. Now brothers and sisters, because we are saved, that does not mean that we're not going to stumble or fall or maybe sin. Mm-hmm. But we don't sin deliberately or intentionally, and when we do sin, what does the word of God say? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we what? If we
2: repent. 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 So if we repent and
1: we repent if for those that know Jesus, sinners out there that know, don't know Jesus are not repenting. Repentance is for those who have come to Christ who know believers. Jesus, for believers. Mm-hmm. So if we repent, he says that he is just and faithful to forgive our sins when we do. Because the word also goes on to say that if we say we're without sin, we are a liar and You're we make Jesus out of a lie. Not and the truth is not in us. So yes, we're going, to, we're going to fall. We may stumble, but we don't do it intentionally. And then the other thing I really love about it is when we do, we feel so guilty. Yep. I'm talking about Daniel now. You know, you do it, and, you, and you, especially if you did it deliberately, and you take advantage of God's grace like some of us do. We, take a, we, take, we knowingly do something, taking advantage, of, taking advantage of God's grace, knowing that we've got to go back and repent later. Okay? So it is by grace that we are saved through faith. Through faith. I like what the psalm says, Joyce, in Psalms number four, four yeah. uh, verse four. It says, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed. You know, we get angry about something. We shouldn't respond from our emotion, but, you know, some of us, and I have been guilty at times, you know, responding of our emotions and, and doing or saying something that probably wasn't in the best interest, I have found myself standing in the store getting upset with somebody, knowing I'm not being the best representation of Jesus Christ and having to repent. I, that was a time recently when I went to get George's cell phone. The girl, young girl just got me so frustrated. She said, I can't work with him anymore. And I said, yeah, because this is difficult. <laughs> you know, I could not leave that store, Joyce, because the Holy Spirit had me feeling so guilty about making that young lady feel so bad. She was a young lady, mm-hmm. and I had her feeling so bad because I was being difficult because of the way she was asking questions. It was not it was not like as if I was a customer. And I just found myself getting frustrated, and I knew it nothing but, I shouldn't say the devil, but I knew it was it was Daniel, old self, coming up. Yep. And uh, before I left the store, I apologized to her sincerely, and she accepted my apology. I'm so glad you
0: apologized.
1: And you know why we need to do that, brothers and sisters? On because five. we set the example, and if we leave situations like that, untaken care of, that person later may hear or see something, particularly in my case, now that I'm in the ministry, how in the work of that man say, he's, 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 he's ministering the way he treated me in that store. The Holy Spirit will convict us. Yep. Sometimes it will convict us and make us do things we don't want to do and we'll be having to apologize. Okay. <laughs> That's where humility comes in. <laughs> amen. And then remember this, we're told over in Romans chapter 10, Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.
0: Thank God that we are whosoever. We are
1: the whosoever. Thank God. I love that whosoever. I'm a whosoever. <laughs> We're all whosoever. Yes.
0: Yes. So. Amen. All right. So that's good. You got a lot of scriptures. Like I said, I know you was going to have scriptures to back up everything. So so that's, that's good. Any questions? All right. So the next question, number seven on that, on that survey that you mailed out asks, how were people in the Old Testament saved?
1: That's a good question, and a lot of people ask that question. Uh, there's, unless you understand scripture, study scripture, you may not necessarily uh, know how they were saved, but the answer is pretty simple, and the, word, the answer to the question, Joyce, is given to us in scripture. We're going to take a look at that. Now, as we talked about though, salvation comes by what? Grace right. through faith, faith. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's John chapter 1, verse 12, and Ephesians 2 8 through 9. We talked about that, and we know that Jesus is the way. John 14, 6 says Jesus is the only way to the Father. Right. But so if Jesus is the only way to God the Father, and we're saved uh, because of him, but Jesus wasn't in the Old Testament, George, so how were they saved, Daniel? I'm glad you asked. So let's talk about that. We know from Scripture that faith, salvation, I'm sorry, salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Because Galatians chapter 3, verse 11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified. I'm sorry. We know that they had the law in the Old Testament, but they didn't have Jesus Christ. And we know that the law cannot save anyone. The law never saved anyone. The law for the Jews Pointed out their shortcoming. It pointed out their sin. Mm -hmm. And that is why they had to do the animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. But even in the Old Testament, George, faith was the key. Mm -hmm. Faith, they were saved the same way you and I are saved. They were saved through faith. The difference is, George, they were saved through faith and that they were looking forward to the Savior. Mm -hmm. Because there are dozens of scriptures. That talks about God was going to send a savior, a Messiah, that would do what? Save His people. So, for the Old Testament sake, they had faith in God. Mm-hmm. We know that faith is what is required for salvation. Yes. So, because faith is the bedrock for, for 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 our for our faith, faith is the bedrock for our is the foundation for our for our belief and trust in God and eternal life. They had faith as well. Going back to what I said earlier, mm-hmm. Abraham. Had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. So we cannot just dismiss this thing about faith in the Old Testament. Look at what the Word of God tells us by the Apostle Paul. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by faith. In the Old Testament, Habakkuk, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, that's what Paul was quoting. That's what Paul is talking about. Mm-hmm. The just shall live by faith. Okay? So righteousness and faith goes all the way back to the Old Testament. They were saved by their faith, their belief in God. They were taught and told all about the Messiah who's coming. Because if you're only saved because of the present Christ, then how was Abraham saved and all the other people that preceded Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. Abraham was 400 years, more than 400 years, Moses, all these were way before the law came with Moses, Mm. so how were they saved? By faith. By faith. Okay, that's
0: good. Okay. So that answers that, by faith. All right, any questions? Okay, so Dan, uh, what happens to people who backslide and they Uh, walk away from God?
1: That's a very good one. You know, um, I have known people in my life who, at one time, they walked with God and they grew cold. They grew cold and they fell away from the church, fell away from the fellowship. Um, but we got to remember what the Word of God says about backsliding. It talks about it a lot, actually, in the in the Old Testament, George. Yes, that
0: God is married to
1: him. Right? God is married to the backslider. So uh, when we read the history of Israel and Judah, you know, Judah was the ten tribes to the north, mm-hmm. and Israel was the two tribes to the south. Uh, when we read the, uh, the history of the Israel and Judah, the history is full of backsliding. Mm,
0: yeah.
1: I mean, listen to what the Word of God says uh, through the prophet Hosea. Mm-hmm. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Now, the Hebrew word for backsliding, uh, everybody, is to turn your back on God to withdraw from him. Now, I need to say something up front. Backsliding is not the same as apostasy. Backsliders, God says in the word, I'm married to you. Come back to me. Mm-hmm. Though, you are, though you are filled with souls from your head to your feet, where I have whipped you, punished you, because you have backslid from me, come let us reason together. Come back to me. Okay, Jeremiah, poor Jeremiah, he was crying all the time, crying Jeremiah. Yeah. You know, he was always crying out, Turn, O oh backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. The same thing mm-hmm. that the Lord God said to the Israelites, he says to us in the church today. Yeah. When we backslide, he wants us to come back to him. God's word goes on to say that backsliding, George, is really an evil Bitter thing, and that you're going to be punished for backsliding.
2: Wow.
1: He's going to punish you until you come back to him. Mm. Because he's married to you. Wow. The house of Israel and the house of Judah has dealt very treacherously, God says, against me. He said, I blessed them, I gave them all of my favor, they knew me, and then they turned their backs on me and walked away from me. God said, I'm not having it. I'm going to deal with you according to your backsliding. Though I know you, you knew me. Why would you do this to me? He's not going to let us go very easy. Because the Word of God says nothing in the world can snatch us from the hands of our God. Remember what I said earlier? Nothing in the world can snatch us out of his hand, but we can leave him. So apostasy now is different from backslide. Apostasy is when one has known the way of God, one has walked with God, believed in God, and walk away now it is believed that apostasy when people fall into the apostasy re- arena those people according to the Word of God what Paul says they were never part of us so when you hear people saying you can never be lost or you can you can never you can never lose your salvation you got to remember that God in his foreknowledge was God in his foreknowledge he foreknew What did he foreknew? He foreknew everyone that was truly going to come to him. And because he foreknew us, he predestined us. And because he predestined us, his word says, he called us. And because he called us, he justified us. And because he justified us, he is going to glorify us. So when people fall away from God and they never know him, they deny him, the question becomes, did they really know God or oh, were they in it for all their own reasons? But the Holy Spirit never came to dwell within them, and they really never belonged to God. Because the word says, "My sheep hear my voice, and a stranger they will not follow." Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I like about when people who are backslidden, when you backslide, you were a believer. You got to know God, not like the people who came in as wolves. But the word, the word is like this. Because you knew God, when you sin, it continuously pierced your heart. Your heart. You talked and turned at night. You know you need to get back to God to get it right. Mm-hmm. But because of stubbornness, something came into your life. Something caused you to get upset or angry with God, and you turned a little from him. You moved away from him. You don't want to go to church anymore. You don't want to hear other people praying because it reminds you too much about where you know you should be and where you know you are not because you do belong to him. Okay, and I like to believe that backsliders belong to God because he's married to them, but those who fall away and are truly away from God were never in his fold because his word is true. Nothing can snatch us out of his hand. We choose to leave God. He don't ever choose to let to, to let us go. God just not gonna stand eye by and just let us walk away from him. We told him, Yes, Lord, I love you, yes Lord, I will serve you when we accepted him. We made vows to him. Okay. All right, then. Very well? Yep. Good. Now, one last thing. Remember what the Word says over in Matthew, chapter 7, 21. This is what Jesus is saying now, brothers and sisters. Jesus himself is saying this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, get this, brothers and sisters. It says, men will say to me in that day, Joyce, Lord, 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 Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And he says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, your is of iniquity. God is saying, yes, you went and did all those things, but that wasn't with me doing all that stuff. That wasn't me. I don't know what that was. We know that we have deceiving spirits. And the word of God says, test the spirits. There are many deceiving spirits in the land. And we're going to close on this note Remember what happened with Moses, just to show you how Satan works and the power of Satan. When Moses went before Pharaoh, and when the first thing he did was he, God had told him in the desert to throw your staff down, and to turn it turned into a snake, and it scared the daylight out of Moses. And then God told him to pick it up, and he picked it up by the tail, and it turned turn back into a staff again. Well, Moses did this in front of Pharaoh. But what did the magicians do? That's the reason, brothers and sisters, why the Bible just talks about magicians and sorcery. Mm -hmm. Those magicians, brothers and sisters, threw their staff down, and the Word of God that we declare we believe in says that their staffs also turned into snakes. Okay? Amen to the glory of God. And then give them them the the hook now. But Moses... But Moses, yes, but Moses' staff swallowed up their staff. They couldn't get their staff back. They had to get another one. Because Moses swallowed all of theirs up. Amen. Because God, the so God. God is greater. God, God is greater. Amen. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. So,
0: any, any questions? Okay. So Dan, what is the Holy Spirit and how do I know
1: the Holy Spirit lives in me? Mm, Another good question. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, uh, many of you would know this, but the Holy Spirit, we know it's the Spirit of God, Mm -hmm. part of the Godhead. We call it the Trinity. Mm -hmm. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We know that uh, the Holy Spirit is the invisible presence of God Mm -hmm. that comes and and lives in our lives. We're going to talk about how we know, but let's just understand this, that the Holy Spirit was there with God in Genesis, Mm -hmm. Genesis 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word of God and the Word was... In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. I'll jump into John 1 where it says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. But I wanted to go to John because what does uh, the Word of God tells us in, in the Gospels and in John, in the Gospel, and that is that all three of the Trinity were there when Jesus was baptized. Yes. That's the first time in Scripture where we have it written that all three of the Godhead was present. Mm-hmm. You had God, you had Jesus the Son being baptized. Mm-hmm. When he came up out of the water, the water that the word of God said, And a dove descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. The word of God, I mean the Holy Spirit, descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Mm-hmm. And then we heard they heard the voice, the voice of, God of God saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. Then Jesus told the disciples to go into into Jerusalem and stay there until you be imbued with power from on high. This is after the resurrection. The gift. The gift. And so the, uh, the, the disciples, they all went back to Jerusalem and they went to the upper room. They remained there for about 40 days. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. And what does the Word of God say uh, happen when the Holy Spirit came? It was, this is the first time the Holy Spirit is now being poured upon people because remember now, In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, except in a few occasions, did not rest permanently on people. The Holy Spirit came upon them to do a work or to prophesy or to say something in the name of the Lord. But the Holy Spirit did not rest permanently upon the people in the Old Testament. And we know this because the prophet Joel says, the word of the Lord says, In the last days I will pour up my spirit upon all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And we know that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Because after the Holy Spirit came, there was a the sound of a rushing wind, and then it says, and the Spirit settled on each one of them as flames of fire. Okay? And then they began to speak in tongues, and they went outside. And all these people from all over the world, that is the Roman world at the time, heard these men speaking in their languages, where the Holy Spirit was manifesting and demonstrating that it had come, and they were showing the disciples the power of the Holy Spirit, because right. they didn't know what they were saying, but these people were saying, how is that you speak to me in my language?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so the Holy Spirit came then, and the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. Yes. Now, we know the Holy Spirit is a person, Jules, because the Word of God says, do not, what, grieve mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. In order to be grieved, you have to be an entity, a person.
2: Right,
1: And then it says, do not quench mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. So we quench the Holy Spirit when we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and the Holy Spirit wants to do or say something through, through us, and we go, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. That's quenching the Holy Spirit, cutting it off, shutting it down. And oftentimes we, we do do that, okay? So the Holy Spirit is a person, an entity, a part of the, of the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then, of course, the Holy Spirit baptizes believers. What did Jesus say? You must be baptized with water and the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay? He says, unless you are baptized with water and the Spirit." You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So we have the water baptism and we must be baptized with the Spirit of God. If to complete our salvation, okay, to complete our salvation process, we need to have the Holy Spirit in us. That's not how we're saved. We are saved as we talked about through Romans, but once we are saved, we then receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit it communicates, it survives, it helps us to love each other and Christ said we're to love, as God said we're to love, it testifies, it teaches, and it even teaches us how to pray. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will bring all things back to your remembrance. That is how the disciples were able to write under the anointing of the Holy Spirit much of the gospel, because many of the things, the details with which they wrote the gospel, the Holy Spirit helped them to bring those things back to their remembrance. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke Uh, all wrote under the as of the Holy Spirit as we believe. Mm -hmm. So now what is it that the Holy Spirit does for us? How do we know the Holy Spirit lives in us? There's a couple of of things I want to point out so you know you have the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. living in you. Number one, the Holy Spirit is our helper. Jesus said, I will send you the helper, and the Holy Spirit will help us. It will help us in our walk. It will help us in our talk, where we live. It will help us as we're given the gifts of the, the fruits of the Spirit. You remember mm-hmm. the fruits, of the, the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, mm-hmm. kindness, goodness, self-control. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us those fruits and helps us live our lives that are pleasing and acceptable to God. So the Holy Spirit is our helper, okay? The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. And what does sanctify, sanctification mean? It simply means to be set apart. To become sacred unto God, the Holy Spirit helps us through the process of becoming sanctified. That is sanctification, which simply, it is not the old connotation folk had back in the 60s and 70s and 80s when they say, I don't want to be a part of them sanctified folks. You at best want to be sanctified because without being sanctified, you can't get into heaven. It simply means setting yourself apart from sin. That's all it means, okay? Becoming that new creature. That's right. The Holy Spirit helps us to become the new creature in Christ that we must become.